Hey, welcome to the podcast. Got a great one for you today. Before we start, though, I want to tell you um, that uh, we have a special going on just for you. Um, if you use Blaze Media as the promo code, you can grab tickets for my Christmas show. I'm only doing one show this year. It's going to be doing, uh, we're going to be doing it in Salt Lake City at Kingsbury Hall. If you'd like to grab your tickets, go to glenbeck.com and use the promo code all caps blaze media all caps blaze media get your tickets now they go on sale for the general public on friday yeah okay uh, make sure you join that that is a fun show the christmas That's fun. show no I, politics just a lot of fun it's really fun a lot it's of a fun. great way to celebrate the holiday yeah. yep uh, so get your tickets at glenbeck.com okay on today's program uh we start with uh tiananmen square and hong kong uh, then we we uh, also talk a little bit about Warren and Wilson, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who is now, according to the latest poll today, Stu, down by one point, down by one point. Is she Woodrow Wilson? Also, some investigative reporting uh, that is uh, on our television show tonight. We cover it in the podcast today. Great show. You don't want to miss it, especially Kevin Ryan who we sent out, and we didn't give him combat pay. We sent him to the Iowa State Fair to cover the candidates. Wait until you hear that. All on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. I remember it was the summer of 1989. And I remember seeing something happen in China. And this was, this was a magical five years for freedom. Communism was falling apart. Berlin Wall was coming down. And people in China, students, made a Statue of Liberty in Tiananmen Square. They were standing up for freedom and the rights of all men. It was amazing. And then everything turned June 3rd, 1989. 200,000 soldiers crawled through the streets of Beijing, aiming their Type 56 assault rifles at students and protesters. They were charged with forcibly ending a counter-revolutionary riot. It was muggy that day. A raving heat overtook the air. Riots usually happen in the summertime. The heat does something to us, I think. The protesters who had been protesting for seven weeks tried everything to stop the infantry soldiers from the People's Liberation Army. They sang traditional folk songs. They begged. They pled. A Type 56 AR fires 650 rounds per minute, one bullet right after another. Many of the soldiers' rifles were loaded with expanding bullets, these are the kinds that are, are banned even in the use of warfare by the Hague. But the soldiers loaded their guns with those bullets and opened fire on the group of students and protesters. By the end of it, 200 civilians had died. And that's, that's the number according to the Chinese government. The truth is more devastating. Estimates run to over 10,000 people died. You can do that in places like China. Well, that was the summer of 1989, and here we are in the summer of 2019. 
just a little over 30 years ago. And in China, the memory of the massacre has been roundly suppressed. You know, we still don't know the fate or even the name of the guy who stood in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. We don't know what happened to many of those people. The facts have been suppressed. The government has never apologized. Officially, footage and audio and photographs of the massacre don't even exist. And don't think it can't happen again. Don't assume technology will stop a human problem. Look at what happened in Iran for one. The Tiananmen massacre doesn't appear in search results. Did you know that? Look it up. Tiananmen Massacre, you can search for it. But if you're anywhere in China, it's part of what's called China's Great Firewall. Prolific government censorship. Chinese children don't read about it in their textbooks at all. Even the day after the attacks, June 4th, there was no mention of the attacks on the propaganda-driven news. The only hint that something terrible that had happened was that the news anchors were all dressed in black in solidarity with the slain protesters. Some of those anchors were fired immediately, one of them banned from ever reporting the news ever again in China. What we're seeing now in Hong Kong is history, but it will most likely be a history that only the West will remember if we even pay attention. Hong Kong is home to 7 million residents with 30 million visitors and tourists every single year. Yesterday, riot police stormed the Hong Kong International Airport in an effort to break up the protests that have raged through the city for weeks. The Chinese government decried the protesters and their actions as acts of terrorism. Like with Tiananmen, many of the protesters weren't even trying to overthrow the government. At first, they were just protesting the extradition bill that would require a Hong Kong resident who doesn't pay taxes to the government in Beijing to serve time in and on mainland China. Crackdowns by Hong Kong police made things only worse. The U.S. State Department said that the U.S. is, quote, staunch in our support for freedom of expression and freedom of peaceful assembly in Hong Kong, end quote. But that's about as strong as we're going to get. So far, the protesters have proven adept at broadcasting the truth. But is anybody listening? Because as we've seen before, they're going to need far more than that. And who knows how much worse things really are. Who knows what information is being suppressed by the state-owned government. Beijing has ratcheted up the inflammatory rhetoric. China media has even said to Hong Kong protesters are asking for self-destruction. According to the New York Times, in recent days, China has more aggressively stirred up nationalist and anti-Western sentiment using state and social media. It has manipulated the context of images and videos to undermine the protesters. Chinese officials have begun branding the demonstrations as a prelude to terrorism. End quote. President Trump has remained calm 
After announcing on Twitter that the Chinese government is moving troops to the border with Hong Kong, he wrote, quote, everyone should remain calm and safe. Beijing described the anti-government protest as deranged acts. Hmm. These people will be red flagged at best. That they have spouts of terrorism and they added that any further violence will be severely punished without leniency and without mercy. And a government like China means that. And if we're not careful, the Chinese government will attack its own people and we won't notice. How are the Google results on China today? How about Facebook, these companies that are more than willing to help China in their government suppression of people. The morning after Tiananmen Square, the massacre, PLA troops tore down the statue of the goddess of democracy, which had become a symbol of the protesters' hope. But we've seen through the propaganda. We all remember that one photo of the one man standing in front of the row of tanks ready to die if that's what it took. Novelist Pico Lyre said, quote, The heroes of the tank picture are two, the unknown figure in front of the juggernaut and the driver who rose to the moral challenge by refusing to mow down his compatriot, end quote. The picture of the tank man, the most iconic images of the 20th century, is not known by the billions of people in China, especially among younger people. Last week, the head of the central government's office in Hong Kong warned members that it is now a, quote, life-or-death fight for the very future of Hong Kong. There is no room for retreat, end quote. There's a great song by Charles Wright and the Watts, 103rd Street Rhythm Band. It's about our collective humanity. If all men were truly brothers, why then do we hurt one another? Love and peace from ocean to ocean. Someone please second my emotion. We may not know what to do about it as individuals, but let's not act like this isn't happening. Who is the unknown rebel? Who will be the man who stands out in front of a a bank Grocery stores in each hand, uh, groceries in each hand. We don't know who's going to do that this time. We've yet to find out. But we do know what's at stake, and it's at stake all around the world freedom, freedom from tyranny, real, true democracy, not mob rule. There's a reason the protesters have been waving American flags through the air. In Hong Kong, they're fighting for their freedom of assembly, their freedom of speech, their freedom of press. They're fighting for the same things that are all outlined in our First Amendment, something unique to the United States of America. And if you have any doubts about how great our true rights are, how great our founders were how great our constitution is listen to what happened yesterday 
in Hong Kong, Chinese protesters holding American flags and singing this song. Christ us through the perilous fight, all the ramparts we watch were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets red glare, the bombs bursting in there, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. may not be able to help them as individuals, but we should at least recognize what they're fighting for. What they're fighting for is something that most of us just take for granted. Our thoughts and prayers are with those in Hong Kong and all of those anywhere on earth that recognize the basic human rights and are willing to stand not only die for but they've found something to live for mm. hello and uh welcome so we uh uh, we're excited today. We are announcing uh, a Christmas show that I'm going to be doing. I haven't done... How many years has it been? 10, 12 years? Has it been, maybe it has been that long, but it's been a long time. It's been a long sure. time yeah. since we did a Christmas show. And uh, we've done... You know, I've, I, I used to do these every year, and I loved them. And it was a time to tell family stories, and it's there's no politics in it. It's all uh, really comedy and heart. The search for the true meaning of Christmas, and you don't want to miss it. New stories and some of the classic Christmas stories uh, and the true meaning of Christmas. It is happening one night only. Uh, and you're going to be, if you are a, um, uh, if you are a member uh, of The Blaze, if you have subscribed to The Blaze, uh, there's going to be an exclusive pre-sale period for Blaze Media subscribers. You're going to enter the password. Am I supposed to say this part on the air? Yeah. yeah. You'll enter the password Blaze Media, and you're going to get exclusive early access to the pre-sale tickets. Uh, they'll go online, I think, next week. The show is going to be December 7th, a night which will live in infamy, <laughs> uh, in Salt Lake City at Kingsbury Hall, the tickets go on sale Friday at 10 a.m. We have a exclusive pre-sale right now for Blaze Media subscribers. Tickets and information are all available at glenbeck.com. So go to glenbeck.com if you want to get the uh, tickets. Again, it's one show. Yeah, you got to use the uh, password Blaze Media. And remember, it's not Blaze Media. It's Blaze Media! Because it has to be in all capitals. Okay. So Blaze Media! Okay, is the password. So, <laughs> Don't use Blaze Media. Use Blaze Media. 
Why are you screaming? That's just what you have to do. Okay, so it's all capitals. Blaze Media is the password. Mm -hmm. Find out all the information. uh, And it is, again, December 7th, Salt Lake City, Kingsbury Hall. We'll be sending out uh, messages to all Blaze subscribers. Uh, And so can you get the tickets on sale for general public on Friday? Uh, and this is go to glenbeck.com and find yes, out. Yes, general on sale Friday, August 16th, 10 a.m. Okay. All right. Uh, so they're on sale no now for uh anybody who wants to use the uh the password blaze media. Blaze media. Thank you all caps. Mm-hmm. All right, glenbeck.com. How are you, Stu? I'm very well, Glenn. Luckily, there's nothing going on in the world that's uh right leading to any chaos. No. So I'm very calm. Everything's no. going fine. Yeah. Everything is going to be fine. Everything is everything is okay. Everything is uh well, is everything is What is the song from the lake? Awesome. Everything, everything is, is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Everything is awesome. It looks like there is some good news though with uh, the tariffs and such seemingly at least being delayed until uh, after the holidays, uh which is a positive at least in the very short term. So hopefully that continues. Um, but, uh, you know, the stuff in Hong Kong is pretty serious. And, uh, I mean, I'm very nervous about which candidates are going to make this next debate. It looks like it might only be 10 or 11. Oh, you're We're going to lose, me. like, half the field here, oh, guys. no. I'm very disappointed. Really? Well, we're not going to... We're not going to lose the average Joe, you know, Beto, are we? I think Beto's going to be okay, Did but you, you know, s- we might lose Marianne. Oh, we may shut lose up. Marianne. Well, does she You're change her own tire? Will she? The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Ben Howe, he is um, he is an interesting man, columnist, podcaster, television writer, filmmaker, award-winning political ad producer. I mean, he is uh, he's one of the most sought-after uh, talents in the industry. Uh, when it comes to messaging uh, and and ads. And I think if you look at the story of America, we had good founding fathers. It had principles. And we would stray, but those founders would just keep saying the same principles to us. And we w- might lose our way, um, but for a while there, we kept returning to those principles. And now I think... We've gotten into a dark period where we we're beginning to question whether we're good at all anymore, uh, and that's our biggest problem. We we can't even see our upbringing and our principles uh, anymore. And I think Ben Howe's life is is almost that same story. Welcome to the program, Ben. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for the introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, do you see what I'm? Do you see what I'm saying about comparing your life to America? I do. I think um, you know. There's lots of people across the country where uh, they run into this situation where their principles are really important to them, but the urgency of their lives also invades. And I think worldwide, what America has tried to do is uh, maintain our values ahead sometimes of what might be the easiest or most urgent solution. And I think that's an important thing. It's what I do try to do. I fail often at it, uh, just like anyone would. I think we all do. But So Ben, so know, ben help uh, me out on, on this, because you, you have a new book out called uh, The Immoral Majority, 
which is mm-hmm. a fascinating uh, read. And 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 I want to I want to pose a couple of things to you. For instance, sure. Hong Kong. My principle mm-hmm. says that we should stand with the people of Hong Kong. However, okay. I'm president of the United States. I probably go with the economy and not uh, risk a, 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 you know, a global depression or a global war. Sure. Have I violated no. my principles? I, I don't believe so, no. Because I, I think that, and, and this is one of the things that I talk about in the book with uh, Pastor Robert Jeffries of uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas. Um, there's a there's needs of the government, which is an entity. You know, it's not a, it's not an individual; it's a person. It has interests that are being protected by people. When we talk about the character of the people that are going to be doing that, I think it's very important. But there are certainly foreign policy needs and sovereignty uh, considerations that are different than what an individual might have to consider. So I think we should be doing what we can to help people around the world, but we do have to protect our own interests. The issue is not whether or not you can maintain your personal principles or, for instance, as Robert Jeffrey said, um, which was outlandish in my opinion, he said of Trump that because he did not exemplify the characteristics that Jesus spoke of on the Sermon on the Mount, that made him a good president. Uh, in, in other words, <laughs> in, in, in a way he was saying run as far as you can, but that's because he was conflating the individual of Donald Trump with the needs of the country. Certainly the country, uh, um, functionally speaking, needs to have considerations that aren't the same as the individual. Um, and it's why we're, I it's, think, I think it's why we're so um, tribal right now. We're, we're expected to agree with everything anyone says or does. And that's not true. I might agree with uh, uh, some of the policies or what they're doing, but I might not like them as an individual, or I may not agree with this one part of it. But it's yeah. all or nothing now, especially on well, the left. Uh, yeah, well, I would say that um, I, I, would, I honestly believe it's just as bad on the right. I mean, I hate to be a dirty both sides are, <laughs> but the— the issue that I the issue that I see is that so much of the the ways that because over the years I, I was a conservative I was a Tea Partier I mean I'm still a conservative I was a Tea Partier I wrote for Red State you know I've yeah, been I know. Uh, the Blaze I like everything and I felt the same things everyone else did the attacks the accusations of racism the political correctness gone awry but what I've seen since I came out against Trump and I know that you saw this as well in 2016 was this other side of that. I started getting attacked by the right, and I saw so many similarities with just a different words being used. So mm-hmm. as an example, political correctness is so horrible. Every time somebody uh, you know, says something against Barack Obama, it's racism. Well, the right doesn't do that, but now every time you say something against Donald Trump, you're a snowflake. It's the same uh, mentality. It's the same attitude. It's the same bad faith. And with that kind of bad faith, we will never bridge the gap. It's going to lead eventually to irreconcilable differences at the level of war. And we we have to find a way to be able to talk to each other. Right. And that's why, again, I I don't want to make this about Donald Trump or um, I do want to make it about um, principles and how we look at things. If if, uh, right now I can't have a conversation with anyone because if I'm talking to a diehard Trump supporter, 
there are things that he does and things that he says that I strongly disagree with that I'm really I'm like, I wish he wouldn't do trade. This is killing us the the way he lives his life, you know, or has in the past. Um, I don't I don't like that at all. But if I talk to somebody and I say I'm uh, yeah, you know, I, I agree with the president on this. Well, then you agree with all the things that he's done or is doing. Uh, and right. it's like, no, no, I, right. I, I, I'm not a cafeteria Christian. I know yeah. when it comes to Christ, I buy into Christ. <laughs> but right. other than that, I am cafeteria. I do look for, you know, this person has this and this person has that. And it, it, we'll never you're right about bridging the gap. We will never bridge a gap as long as we keep telling each other you're all good or you're all bad. Well, and I think one of the issues, too, uh, specifically with Christians, which was, you know, not to say they're the only group that has an issue, but coming from that world, it was most urgent to me to address Christians. And one of the things that I really think is a a huge problem right now is uh, self-delusion. People, they will lie to themselves to believe they're doing something right, even if they're defying their principles, because underneath it is a desire... to fulfill their self-interests. You know, they, they want their things that are more uh, related directly to their lives, but they also don't want to seem as though they're defying their principles when they, you know, completely backtrack on everything that they said about those well, but in the you, 90s. You don't, even, you don't even need to go there, uh, Ben. You, you make a point in the book about, um, uh, I've lost my train of thought, about how you... Um, Stu, we were just talking oh, about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hey, Ben. Um, it was talking, you, you mentioned this, and I think this is a really profound point, which <laughs> is... I got it. Which is now Glenn's going to say. No, go okay. no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I think this is really profound in that we, a lot of times we look at things, we make, everyone has, you know, you know, whatever politician it is, you're making difficult decisions. Sometimes there's things that you don't like, and sometimes there's things that you do. And a lot of times Christians would justify that. Um, and we do often in saying that, like, well, we keep losing this and we keep losing this. And if we don't if we don't vote this way, we're going to lose this. And even as high as a religious liberty and 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 all of these really important really issues important that are really things. important. But we don't look at it as the as the way that we probably should, which is not feeling bad for ourselves for losing something, but feeling bad for others who are yeah. missing out on the things, you know, eternally from a larger perspective that we're supposed to be representing in our everyday lives. Well, absolutely. I think that, you know, what happens is you look at what you think is best. People, you know, Judeo-Christian values and what the country was founded on, and you know what's good and you want what's good and you want other people to be a part of that. Um, as you start getting attacked, which, by the way, we were, you know, as Christians, we were told we would be, but you start to be attacked, you, you know, people start to impugn your motives. It is easy and understandable, I think, to reach a, a point of exhaustion and uh, anger and to want vengeance and all of these other things. So, totally. And everything we're going through is human nature. Everything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why there's so many warnings against those very things is to try to instruct us that, you know, you can both have an interest in your life and your children and your job and everything else, but you don't have to do it at the expense of some of the most important things that were said in the Bible, like loving each other, loving your enemy, 
not returning evil with evil. I mean, these are these are really fundamental aspects of being a Christian in the world and operating in the world without losing uh, the perspective of the kingdom. And I think that people get so afraid that they're going to lose their stuff that they start to think of it completely backwards. We should be weeping for people who don't join us, not for ourselves and what we lose. People that followed Jesus directly were crucified upside down before they died. I mean, they, they, they suffered immensely. Any one of them could have been at, at that moment just been like, you know what, if I just lie and I don't I say I don't believe this, maybe they'll let me go and rationalize to themselves. And it's important that I'm here so that I can tell other people. But no, they didn't do that. They stuck to their principles all the way to the point of death because there are more important things than our suffering. Uh, ben, can I take you back to uh, something pretty interesting outside of politics? Because it made me think of just parenting issue, um, which is you're, you grew up and you kind of got into a little bit of trouble, became sort of a troubled youth, if, as they say. Wait, can I just say, I reject your premise that I grew up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and, and your parents dealt with, I mean, because you got into drugs and everything, your parents dealt with this in a really interesting way, and you kind of looked at that as uh, seemingly like the foundation for the book. I, I'm curious as to, can you explain that story and, and what they did? Because I, 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 as, you, as you were explaining it, it seems really noble, and then part of me thought, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's scary, I think, as a parent to go through something like that. And absolutely. And, and look, I have four kids, so I, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm waiting for the universe to enact some revenge on me. Oh, your, <laughs> your mother's words, I hope you have a child just like you, they will come true. Right. And, uh, but so, yeah, I, I was one of three kids. I was the youngest. And when we moved, um, my brother went in the Marine Corps, Caleb Howe. He also does what, what we do. And uh, my sister went to college. So I was suddenly an only child in another town. I did what I think a lot of teenagers might do in that situation, which was I found a way to adapt. And it turns out if you smoke pot and uh, do other drugs and drink and basically rebel, you can make a lot of friends. Um, at some mm -hmm. point that culminated with, you know, I don't know, statute of limitations here, but let's just say I was doing a lot of illegal things. And um, I got arrested for possession and uh, paraphernalia and things of that nature. My dad came. They bailed me out. And I was waiting to hear all of the horrible things that were going to have to happen while I waited to find out what was going to ultimately be my fate. And he said he just wanted me to bring my friends over and that we could talk about anything. And it didn't have to be religious. He was happy to talk about religion, but the, the only rule was we had to bring something to talk about. I talked my friends into coming with me. You know, none of them wanted to come. But within a few weeks, it was like... They couldn't wait, and it grew from five to about 15 or 20. No, you know, they didn't treat me like I was more special or anything. They, they treated everyone like they were smart and welcome. And these were kids that my parents had every reason to believe were corrupting me, and they brought them into their home. And some of them lived with us for a while because they had gotten kicked out of their own homes. And so looking back as an adult and my parents' unwillingness to kick me out, even as bad as everything got, yeah, it was tough for them. They suffered through it, though, because they had to show me unconditional love, and they did. Caleb, uh, I mean, not Caleb, uh, Ben, thank you so much. <laughs> this is the best of the Glenn Beck program.
Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. Welcome to Jason Buttrill, who is uh, our chief researcher here on the Glenn Beck program, uh, former military intelligence and a guy I depend on an awful lot when we're looking into uh, uh, things like Elon o- Omar and uh, and things where we have to where where there's uh, where, where you need somebody who has done Intel before to look in and really try to dig down and see what's going on. One of the things that we've followed for a long time is Russia and their cozy relationship uh, with the Clintons, uh, especially when it came to Gazprom. And we've done a lot of uh, episodes on Gazprom. And, and why wasn't Clinton investigated? And what did the FBI actually had? They had a literally a mountain of evidence uh, showing that there is corruption in the United States, and yet it was never really pursued. I saw a story about a friend of mine, Patrick Byrne, who is the CEO of Overstock. This guy's a straight-ahead libertarian. He doesn't pull any punches. He's not a political guy, does not get involved in, you know, Republican and Democrat. I think probably hates both sides, or, you know, just is, you know, uh, has antipathy for both sides uh, equal. And I saw this story come out that, that he somehow or another has evidence that is now with the FBI because he was involved with the Gazprom uh, investigation with the FBI and also with the Trump investigation of Russia. And for the life of me, as I'm reading it, I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I sent it to Jason. I said, could you look into this? And I, I sent you several different stories that all kind of have to piece together. Can you tell me what's what this story is? I think the majority of the people probably let this story slip by because you're thinking this is the Overstock CEO. So why would he know anything about this? Yes. And pretty much everyone just said, forget it. That interview where, where he mentioned that, it was on Fox Business, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the the... The uh, accusations were explosive. They really were. I mean, he was talking about, you know, people, you know, committing political espionage. And it mm-hmm. was at the highest levels of the FBI. Um, and he said that it was the information was about to come out. But he said that he was going to come out and release some of this information to a select few just to kind of get people on the right track. So they'll kind of like push the government, you know, if some of this you know information came out. Well, right after he made these claims, he pretty much went radio silent on it. Mm-hmm. And the claims, like you said, they said he's, he claimed that he was at the very center of the the beginnings of the Russia probe and the Clinton investigation. Now, he didn't go into any of the uh, inside you know information Clinton. about the Clinton information. So we're kind of left to guess on that one. Mm-hmm. And by and large, we were left to guess on the Russia probe stuff. But we did some digging around. Now, he did an interview that same day. This was on uh, August the 12th. He did an interview that same day. It was not on camera. It was just a sit-down interview with an investigative journalist. And he started talking about how he got into a, I guess, a relationship uh, with a, do you remember the Maria Butina She was the Russian that was supposedly a spy that had gotten in with the NRA and everybody else. Right. And there was really something fishy about the whole thing. We talked about it, I believe, on, on this show that I, I was like, this is insane that you're calling this woman a Russian spy. 
I mean, has tradecraft gotten that bad even since I got out of the intelligence community? Because if it has, I mean, we have nothing to fear from the Russians at all. She was very public, right? A very public figure. Yeah, she was or at least wanted to, to be. say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was a very public figure in Russia. The Russians hated her because they were leery of her because she was all about... I, I, I guess libertarianism is a thing over in Russia. Who knew? Um, kind of. Kind of. Not the, not the way we would understand it, but on some things. Kind right. of. Gun rights. Yeah. Religious liberty. Yeah. Um, that's what she was a spokesman for. And she would attend conferences, all that. That brought her over here to the States. And she wanted to reach out to libertarian-minded people on the issues that she believed in. So that she could like make a link up between the people in Russia and people over here to say, hey, look, you know, we're not all like crazies like Putin. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we can find some common ground. We have some things in common. So she reaches out to uh, Patrick Byrne in, two, in 2015 and they got into a little relationship. Now, Patrick, he has a security clearance for some work he did with the Council on Foreign Relations. And he was like, hey, there's this Russian, you know, chick reaching out to me. She's wanting me to go to Russia and meet up with some Russian officials. This freaks me out. So he tells the FBI. Now, now, think of this. I want you to know this. Is, I like Patrick. I trust Patrick. This is the kind of guy he is. He's approached by somebody, and she's approaching him in a way romantically, isn't she? A little flirtatious. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he just is like, well, I don't know. She's from Russia. She's. I'm going to check. He values his security clearance, and so he calls the FBI to say, look, do you have anything on her? She... She is talking to me. She seems to be interested in me. Uh, and she wants me to go over to Russia. And they say what? They say, go right ahead. No issues here whatsoever. They say, quote, this is a direct quote, she's been looked into. And she is, quote, fine. So go off and do whatever you want. Your security clearance is, is not in jeopardy. No big deal. No harm, no foul. Okay. So he does. So he continues. And the relationship got intimate. Right from the get go, and he was still a straight shooter about it. He was still leery of her. Uh, he continued to report to the FBI, even though they told him not to. Uh, and he especially started reporting when she started making comments like, "You know, uh, I really want to get into you know close relationships with uh, certain candidates." Uh, Marco Rubio was was mentioned. Hillary Clinton was also mentioned. Basically, anyone that they thought might have power in the next few years. She was trying to get some kind of relationship with, so she right. could speak to them. And so he is having a relationship, but he's, you know, I think like any any decent human being that's an American citizen is like, okay, I'm not sure. I, I mean, it seems weird, but it seems okay as well. Are you sure? So he calls the FBI several times, yes, and says, "There, she's saying these things to me. Are you sure she's okay?" And not only that, she's telling me she's meeting with. This is just an example. Uh, a aide for Hillary Clinton on this day at this place at this time. Are you guys interested in that? Nothing. FBI was not interested. Yeah, yeah, but she's meeting with uh, this person who's the head of this person at this time at this hotel. They didn't care. They did not care. So he was like, whatever. So he continued his relationship. Eventually, it dies down. We're getting close to the actual presidential election now. Uh, I, I didn't really say how close, but I'm assuming within months of the actual election. Then the FBI calls him. He's not in a relationship with her anymore. He hardly talks to her. FBI co- contacts him and says, now we want you to re-up that relationship. You know, remember that girl? You, you told, yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead and rekindle that relationship and, and do what you were doing before. Let us know what she, what she was doing. So he's a straight shooter. He's absolutely, I'll do it. So he does it, helps the FBI. But this time he says, guys, um, I know that I'm not telling you anything you already know, but she's not a spy. 
she's not the next coming of Anna Chapman. She is just literally what she says. Now I know all the people she's talking to. This is what she is. So this is because he got to know her because they said, get to know her. Yeah, it's fine. There's nothing wrong. So he did. And because he still had the questions in his head, he's doing his own research with her and he's meeting the people she's saying over in Russia. And he's smart enough to figure out. Is this a is this a spy situation? Is this an infiltration of America? He knows it's not. So when they call him back, he now is at a place where he's like, "No, I've I I had the relationship. She's not a spy." Yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. But the feds wanted to paint her as one anyway. So they for reasons we can get to in a minute, they paint her as a actual like clandestine like honeypot spy. That's what they paint her as. They want to charge her with espionage. And then I'm a, I, I don't want to put words or thoughts into his mind or mouth, but I mean, he's got to be thinking, what are you doing? This is ex- I gave you exculpatory evidence, witness testimony. This is not what she's all about. And I've been a straight shooter here. You know, I, he's been. Yeah, I, and for some reason, you didn't have a problem when she was meeting with Hillary Clinton. But now, for some reason, you're very interested in her. When she's involved with the NRA and she's involved with uh, Donald Trump. And that's where the media frenzy hit. They, sh- they showed pictures of her at the National Prayer Breakfast at the NRA convention. They picked, re- picked it up, ran with it. Now, this exculpatory evidence that he gave them never made it to court. It never made it. And Butina's lawyers are furious. They just recently, a few weeks ago, sent a letter saying, what the heck is going on? How could we request it? By law, you have to put this in, uh, the exculpatory evidence into, into the uh, record. They never did. That is just missing. It was never there. Now, he said something interested, uh, interesting um, in this one interview that he gave. I think it was to Sarah Carter. Um, and he said, um, Bob Barr is a, is a submarine and he's headed for the deep state ship right now. And he's the only guy that is going to do anything about it. And right now he's headed for a collision course and he's going to hit that ship and sink the deep state ship. He says Bob Barr is our our greatest hope on this because of what he says the FBI is doing Apparently now we'll get into that in just a second and more on this tonight. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Five o'clock tonight, only on the blaze TV. You get, you get Mark Levin, you get Steven Crowder, you get my show, all of them. You get the radio show every day. You can get it at blaze tv.com slash Glenn. If you use the promo code Glenn, you're going to save 10% on it right now for your first year. So sign up with us. Become a member of the team. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Promo code Glenn. What do we think that Bob Barr is doing with this information? And is is Patrick coming out? Patrick wrote to me this morning and he said, you know, I, 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 I can't talk about it uh, any more than I already have. Uh, but uh, I, I will call you as soon as I... Uh, have something like more to say or something like that, which is interesting to me. I wonder if Patrick is working with the FBI or leaking some of this self stuff out to get the FBI to move. That would be that. That would be my guess. Mine too. And it's inter- it's interesting that he didn't comment further. So I'm wondering if some he was made to stop commenting. 
pure speculation. But it's interesting to you come out. You can't be made to stop talking, can you? I mean, I, I guess they could. Uh, they could ask you, but they can't make you yeah. stop talking. I, I don't. I don't know if he signed what he signed when he agreed to work with them. I don't even know how that works. I don't either. But um, but I I, I think it sounded pure, very voluntary. His involvement. I, I think that we should. Uh, if this sounds very credible, uh, this sounds very credible. It's been verified on a few levels. Some uh, unnamed sources. And the DOJ and FBI have not denied this. Uh, they have just said. I we, know Patrick. We he's comment. not a guy. He will. He's not a guy to make this up. He has nothing. To, he has nothing to gain and everything to lose. So, so, as this sounds so credible, and to go back to your question about what is uh, Barr doing, he also said he was involved with the Clinton uh, investigation. I don't know how that even happened, but if he was involved with the Russia probe and the Clinton investigation, well, we do know that uh, the DOJ under Barr is. Well, it sounds like they're looking into the Uranium One uh, and the Clinton Foundation scandals, how all that went, went, went you know, connected with each other. Um, we know last year, uh, do you remember that informant that the FBI had that basically... Brain did, cancer? Yeah, that died of brain mm-hmm. cancer. He, um, he said uh, a few months ago, well, I guess it was March of last year, he was tired of being you know, thrown under the bus by Democrats. And they said, look, this is ridiculous that you guys are thrown under the bus. He was a Democrat. Uh, was he? I, I, think, I, I, he, I think he was. But he, he he was furious. He was irate because it was like I, I I gave up a ton of my life to this investigation. Now I'm in hiding. Um, he, they they I think they leaked his name. He was even more furious about that because mm-hmm. he wanted to co- be completely anonymous. But he said, um, but what he did leak was he said, well, the FBI has actually come back to me. They've come back to me. They've asked me more questions, and they focus specifically on the Clinton Foundation payments that were received by Russians right. during that entire scandal. And what the Clintons did, or what, the, I'm sorry, what the what the uh, Congress did is they called him and then they made fun of him and said, well, you don't remember because you got a brain tumor. Right, right. And and he was furious about that. Yeah. How dare you? You are the people that we trusted with the ADA thing. Yeah. You're the ones who say you look after the most vulnerable. I have a brain tumor medical condition and it's, it's not causing me to forget stuff, and you're accusing me of this? Right. I mean, he had every reason to be upset. So we, we pray for the good guys in our Justice Department, uh, and if that's Bob Barr, who I, I think it is. Do you think Bob Barr's a good guy? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I have a reason. Whoever, has, whoever is trying to clean things up uh, and set the record straight on all of this stuff, we pray for you and we salute you for your your duty and your service to your nation. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the uh, program, uh, Kevin Ryan. Kevin is uh, one of our writers uh, on uh, the Glenn Beck program, glennbeck.com, The Blaze. Uh, and I, 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 I think we should offer him combat pay for this, but we sent him out to Iowa, and you were with the candidates over the weekend. How many times did you see these guys? So we saw 11 candidates um, over, the, yeah, over the course of four days. Um, saw all the front runners um, four times. Saw uh, Kamala Harris five times. Oof. Oh my god! Yeah, and Oof. in a ton of different settings. So they're they're there for the Iowa State Fair, but they're moving around quite a bit. And 
Um, I I think I went with my dad. He he. Oh wow! He, he came with me. You met my dad. Yeah. Very yeah. Irish. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it was kind of he was sort of taking in the whole scene in this, um, this way of puzzlement really. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're looking forward to your reports. We're going to be on Glenbeck.com. He's got a lot of behind the scenes stories. But you were there when Biden said, hey, poor kids are just as good as white kids. That's right. Yeah. Um, justice. Town- I forget what his wording, but it was a very sloppy either or. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, he he was what well, from the moment he walked in the room, he was pretty sleepy. Like he seemed sleepy, like he was tired. And um, he saw multiple times. Was that a recurring situation with him or was it just that one speech? Just that one speech. Okay. Yeah. Um, so here he is. Here's what he said in that speech. And the other thing we should do is we should challenge these students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Love, wealthy kids. I love the one person kids. who claps. It wasn't you, was it? Oh, okay, good. yeah, no. Because there's that yeah. one person who's like, yeah, that's right. Kids yeah. aren't white kids. Woo! <laughs> and the audience in general was receptive of it. Because how think many it people? Like, how many people were in the room? Um, it was a small room. It was actually at a plumbers union that the event was held. I'd say there were about 140 people there, all with plumbers crack. It's yeah, <laughs> All right. for sure. Okay, including the media. Uh, yeah. Wait, how many forty people? people? What's the breakdown between actual people mm-hmm. and media, media? Just they're covering it. There were probably 60, 60 media there. Sixty media out of one hundred and forty people at the event. Wow, that's incredible. Wow, and that story was not everywhere. I mean, that was picked no. up by the Blaze. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think New- Fox News might have picked it up, but it wasn't widely reported that he messed up like that. Not not at all. I think if uh, someone from Fox News hadn't been there, it would not have gotten reported at all. Um, because it, it sort of slowly trickled into a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where it would have been a firestorm. They would have been reporting live. Yeah. If, if it was Trump Donald Trump, mm-hmm. they would have gone live with that. For sure. We're joining him already in progress where he just said this. <laughs> That's what they would have done. Mm. Uh, but they didn't do it here. So you said the crowd didn't have a problem with that. No, and he he adjusted to it pretty quickly. Yeah. Yes, he realized he, he did it. He yeah. realized he did yeah. it. He was very aware of what he just said. Mm. Um, what was your – give me uh, – because you, you got to see 11 candidates. Mm-hmm. There's 20, 25, 26 in the field now. Uh, so almost half the candidates in four days, saw mo- mo- many of them multiple times. We get this impression when we're watching you know a, a debate – of what these candidates are like. What are they like in the room? Who works the room really well? Kamala Harris. That's the one I walked away with the most. Saw her five times, in part because she just <laughs> like hustles. the grateful dead. She hustles. Yeah. She's like yeah. the grateful I, dead I, that Kamala Harris. Like All right. No. This is my fifth time seeing you. <laughs> right? Woo! After seeing these, this, these candidates this many times, you become the grateful to be dead. Yeah. If you yeah. can just pull it you're, you're begging for it. That's, uh, so uh, she's she's the most, would you say she just knows how to work a room or she's the most authentic? Definitely not the most authentic. Um, the opposite almost. Like she knows how to read a room so well. She knows what to say. She also hustles so much, and she needs that job. She has that mm. that fire in her eyes. Biden's like, yeah, I'll probably get this. You know, he's boy. That's what happened to Clinton. Mm. Exactly, Clinton lost. That's interesting. Remember, Clinton in 08 
had the same attitude mm-hmm. uh, that she was just going to stroll in. It was her turn, and Obama took it from her. Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So Kamala works the room well. Mm-hmm. Biden a little tired occasionally, uh, but also does he seem fully there? Because yeah, did you see he's he seems like, and I've never felt this way about him until the last maybe year or so. Where he seems like he's kind of slipping a bit. He he has the gravitas that you expect from a president, mm-hmm. and you you don't really see it in many people. You know that it's that suction energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as he walks in the room, everybody moves toward him. Mm. Uh, Kamala Harris has it even more so. She, she That's knows interesting. That I was we were seeing uh, Yang at a winery. Yeah. One time, <laughs> but you want to, might want to rephrase that. that didn't, yeah, that sauce, that sauce, I was at a winery and we were showing it away. Uh, investigative journalism. Uh, were you just drinking? Is that what was happening? Okay, so you saw Yang. He's at a, Andrew Yang at a winery, and uh, Kamala Harris had just spoken, and she uh, she she waited until he started speaking. She was sitting in the front row, and right after he began talking, she got up and walked out of the room, and half of the media went with her, and half of the room went with her. Like, it was a definite She's cold as ice, man. Kamala Harris would, I mean, she's surgical. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she'll slit your throat. She does not care. (laughs) For sure. And you saw that with Biden, right? I mean, you know, that was on the debate stage. I mean, that's an amazing move, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you're walking out in the middle of the guy's speech. There's a decorum. You don't do that, right? No. Kamala doesn't care. She doesn't. And she stayed outside of the building, too. She kept walking around. There's these huge glass windows. <laughs> <laughs> and she she's wow. doing this to Andrew Yang. Imagine what she's going to do to Biden. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So how, how was uh, Bernie? <laughs> Bernie was interesting. The first time I saw Bernie <laughs> was yes. at a Mexican disco. <laughs> a mexican disco yeah it was this little room with a tiny bar and, and we'd been there two nights before to see castro and when we saw castro there was actually a, a bouncy castle inside <laughs> that's such a weird way to elect a leader it was very strange yeah uh, and yeah. it was like but i didn't see um i mean bernie was captivating there people were drawn to him and he was really the only one I saw who drew protesters. So, like at the mm. Iowa State Fair, there were a lot of people with, um, you know, Trump signs and a lot of MAGA hats. And really? Yes. And, and there was like a small. There were a lot of people there, but I'd say misplaced there, energy. I think. Yeah, Bernie's uh, do, he's sinking Bernie, himself. He doesn't yeah, need he's any sinking help. Himself, and you kind of want him to be the candidate against Donald Trump. <laughs> He'd be the easiest to mm. beat. You think so? I, I do, uh, Bernie. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, no, it, you I, put him up. I don't but, see how anyone could elect him. But I mean, Elizabeth Warren is really custom made for Trump. I feel like that. With, how did she do? She did very well. She did better than Biden did, surprisingly. Uh, well, the new poll shows her down from Biden one point. One point. Yeah. Did she really surprise me? Uh, my dad's reaction to Elizabeth Warren, and he he hadn't been really keeping up with the candidates at all, mm-hmm. and he just knew her name. But we walked into, it was a fundraiser that we walked into. So very friendly crowd, packed room. It was actually the ballroom where Buddy Holly played his last show. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad turned to me and he was like, 
what's wrong with this lady? I don't like her at all. <laughs> <laughs> she does not come off as likable. She's not. She doesn't. She comes. She, yeah, there's a she's very not. Simil- there's a lot of similarities to Hillary. I mean, that's why I was so, I'm so surprised Democrats are running in this direction. There's so many well, similarities. Well, they want a woman, and then the Marxists want a Marxist. But, I mean, you have Kamala Harris. Right, who's a much better package for a candidate than I think she is. Who's she's a little bit more sensible on certain things like Israel and and, right. I think she is seen as the Clintons. You know, what did you really get with Bill Clinton? You got a guy who stood up and said the era big government is over and actually moved in that direction. So they kind of the the real the ideologues on the left. They don't like the politi- the typical democratic politician and while K- Kamala Harris is not that person uh she's, she's closer to she's it she's closer to it than Bernie or, or right. Warren right where Warren you have no doubt Warren's going to get in and she's going to do these things mm-hmm. or Woodrow she's going to try as you pointed out she's last Woodrow night she's Woodrow Wilson mm-hmm. she'll get it done if she can uh and that's what they i think that's what they want anybody yeah. else uh, surprise you any other uh interesting lower tier candidates you saw um, Yang was interesting. Uh, at that same event I just mentioned, we Jay Inslee was there, mm-hmm. and there was a moment where they kind of uh, blended in with the crowd after, and they were talking to everybody. Kamala Harris went through with like a huge entourage of media and, and people wanting selfies, and Jay Inslee was there, and, and I turned my <laughs> and dad he was offering like, selfies. <laughs> exactly, yeah. that's exactly what it was. I, I said, "Hey, Dad, will you take a picture of him?" And he's like, "Which one?" He didn't know. <laughs> I didn't even know who the candidate was. Jay had none of that energy, none of that suction energy. So it's like, uh, and Yang was interesting because he was just hanging out. He yeah, hung he, out. he actually seems like a, a normal guy. A normal guy. I, uh, I actually kind of like him. Yeah, him, definitely. Yeah, he, like well, he seems like the guy you could hang with and have a conversation with. And I've never heard him like use the typical Democratic messaging of that side is racist. Those people don't like these policies because they want to hurt poor people. He doesn't talk like that. He he no. does. He disagrees with mm-hmm. conservatives, but I've never seen him be anything other than respectful to them. Who do you think was the most authentic? Um, probably Yang. Yeah, mm-hmm. Bennett was interesting too, but I think Yang was was the most interesting, and I think Bernie was authentic in that he believes what he's saying. Yes. Um. Uh, so, and I am I admire that. Mm-hmm. Um. But he's a he says a lot of things that aren't true. He's authentic, but he lies a lot, which is weird. It's a weird combination. <laughs> I think it's actually his combination, though. Yeah. He's an authentic liar mm-hmm. because he says a lot of things that just flat out are not true about about the policies. But he authentically believes that I think they're better for America, and that he he really be, he's a true believer in socialism. He's not one of these people who's you know I think there's an element of Harris, and this might be what you're talking about. There's an element of Harris that is embracing these far left policies because she thinks it's the way to win the primary. That's not that's not Warren or Sanders. You know, Warren and Sanders are believers, true believers, along mm-hmm. with you know a few of the other you know lower tier candidates. But those two are like, I mean, they're second and third in the field, and they are legit true believer socialists. And that is a that's a dramatic thing for this country because mm-hmm. one of they've already talked about having an alliance on the debate stage, like let's not attack each other until it gets further down the road. Um, you know, one of them drops out, the other one is the front runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you think the Bernie people will go to uh, Warren? I'm not sure who they who they'll go to. Um, they could just as easily go to Trump. You know, that's 
Yeah, the, the Bernie thing is weird, like with that, because he uh, there's a lot of Bernie energy that it's Bernie exclusive. Yeah, there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of cult of personality with Bernie, and I think some for of sure. those people yeah. who voted for Bernie in the primary dropped out and didn't vote for anybody in yeah. the general. Some of them did vote for Trump. Yeah, and some of them did some vote, for, vote Trump. for Trump. Thank you so much. Absolutely appreciate it. The Blaze Radio Network on demand.